have your Bibles, the book of Ruth, chapter number one. The book of Ruth, chapter number one. We left off last week as um, Ruth, I mean, as Naomi was trying to discourage these widows from following her back to Bethlehem. We saw that was completely contrary of what her, her position in the family of God was to be. The Jewish nation was to be a light unto the nations, to point people to God. And here she was pointing people away. Um, the one daughter-in-law, Orpha, decided to go back and be with her people of Moab, but Ruth would not be dissuaded. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. She would not leave Naomi no matter what. So we have these two women making their way back into Israel, back into Judah, and specifically back into Bethlehem, Naomi's hometown, Elimelech's hometown. And so today, this is what I'd like to call homecoming. Not homecoming as a service, but this is Naomi's homecoming. And I think there are some wonderful truths that we can glean from that. We'll pick up a reading in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. We'll read down through verse number 22. Ruth chapter number 1, verse 19. And so they two, meaning Naomi and Ruth, went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. And I went out full. And the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, with her, they which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to, Surround our thoughts around a homecoming. Let's go to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for how you are glorified in the singing of praise unto yourself. Thank you for grace and in heaven stepping in and helping. God, we praise your name for their talents and abilities. Thank you for the song that has been wrought in our heart and praise to you. Father, I pray that you would take our hearts now and direct them to your word. God, I pray you would teach us about what it means to come home. How, how you deal with our hearts out of grace and mercy. God, remind us that there are graves in Moab. There are people that have died, that you have taken away from life, and how that you have, how that you have shown mercy to Naomi and mercy to, uh, to Ruth, who as of yet does not know you. And God, you have brought them back into a place of your environment, a place of your moving, a place of your provision. Father, I pray you'd teach us something about that and about making things right with the Lord Jesus. God, we pray for the lost that may be here without you. We pray that they would see their need of God to come home to God to make things right with the Lord Jesus. God, we just pray you'd teach their hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And amen. Pastor R. Kent Hughes uh, tells a story about how his son Joshua learned to walk. 
And as he learned to walk, he would take his small toddler to the park every day. And they would walk together progressively, more and more every day. They would walk down the sidewalk, they would walk over the bridge, through the woods, into the meadow. And it wasn't long as the little boy became accustomed to these walks, how that his legs were strengthened and he could go further and further in their walks. But eventually, the boy could manage his walks without his father's hand. He had gained so much strength that he could walk way far into that park with his father by his side. But he would only go, be able to go so far and he would have to be brought home. His legs were strong enough to take him far from home and were not strong enough to bring him back. He didn't have the strength to come back home. He had to be carried back home. Well, in Naomi's case, the opposite is true. You see, the events over the last 10 years had weakened her to such a condition until the point in which she had to be carried back home. She had to be brought home by God. Weakened more and more. As years and years went by, she then had to be brought back home. And all the road back home was not a pleasant one. There is a sense uh, from these few verses that she was once again in the place that she should have been. Even though the town around her almost seen her as unrecognizable, even though she tries to change her name based upon her past tragedies when she comes back to Bethlehem, there is a sense in which she is home again. She even says that, that she has been brought back home. It was a homecoming. Bittersweet as it was, and somewhat embarrassing, it was one that Naomi had to have out of necessity. A powerful scene for every one of us because it displays the grace of God. It displays the grace of God towards those who have wandered far from God. And let's be honest. Every one of us here, even those that claim the name of Jesus Christ, have a tendency to do exactly like Naomi. To leave a place of an environment rich in God's presence, even though there is famines, even though there is difficulty, which should teach us to lift our heads in faith to Him, we are all prone to follow the flesh and away from that environment. So here we learn something about coming back. There's principles that we see from God's Word that teach us About a homecoming, coming back to God. Notice, first of all, I want to look at this in three descriptions. Notice, first of all, where she arrived. Where she arrived. More than ten years have passed. Ten years of sorrow and difficulty. And now we see her walking back into Bethlehem. And she is an illustration, as I've said, of someone that's gotten away from God and is now coming back to God. Notice first of all, I want you to see that she's coming back to a place of God's attendance. God's attendance. Look at verse number 22. It says, Naomi returned uh, and Ruth the the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her and returned 
out of the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem. It's very distinct. It's almost as if the author here is repeating himself because he did this in the beginning of verse 19 that they went until they came to Bethlehem. They came to Bethlehem. The city was moved about. It's almost as if he is emphasizing that they are going from Moab to Bethlehem. And there's great significance in this change of environment. Think with me about these two locations. Remember Moab, as we've said before, Moab was a place of, of, a place of God's condemnation, a place of God's refusal. Remember, the people of Moab are the offspring of the incestual relationship between Lot and his daughters. Remember when Sodom and Gomorrah was burned up and the Lot's, Lot's wife was turned to a pillar of salt? He and his two daughters left and they went to the land of Moab and there uh, the, the daughters got the father drunk and so if I'm not mistaken he was drunken and they, he had offspring by his own daughters. That is the people of Moab. That is the people that are predominantly characterized as those people of the flesh, that survive by the flesh. In general, Jehovah, Yahweh, is not revered, much less worshipped in Moab. It was a pagan land, a land of idolatrous practices they are, that are diametrically opposed to the Word of God. Bethlehem, on the other hand, is located in the land of Judah. The word Judah means praise. It means adoration to God. This was an area in which God was glorified. God was revered. Naomi was now in a place in which God honored. Now I'm not saying that Naomi could not have been kind of like a missionary and not leave God but yet still live in a pagan land. It's, it's not as though she could not worship God. She could not uh, uh, revere God in, their, in her own home, in a foreign land. But it is difficult. It's difficult to maintain such a practice when you are surrounded by overwhelming opposition. That's why it's important for missionaries to take that furlough and, and to leave a land that is, so, uh, that is so rejecting of God, that is surrounded by, uh, by those that don't, that don't care for God and to come home to their own people in their own land and, and be recharged, so to speak, to be in an, in an environment where the collective is focused on God. That's why it's so important uh, for that. Now... I don't think that's the case with Elimelech. I don't think Elimelech went to Moab to be a missionary to the Moabites. No, no, no. That, that's not it at all. Elimelech and Naomi, they were living according to their flesh. They weren't missionaries. They weren't emissaries of the one true God. They were in Moab because they saw the prosperity in Moab. That was, that was not in the place of God's blessing in Bethlehem at the time. We went over that earlier in the chapter. No, they were living in direct disobedience to God. But I want to note the mindset of many that will say this, well, going to church. Going to church is not the be-all and end-all. 
of a relationship with God, Brother Ron. I mean, you can have a relationship with God outside uh, of the church. Well, uh, there are more hypocrites at the church than there are in my living room. <laughs> now that, uh, that, that's something that's hard to, hard to work, hard to argue against. I, I can live for God outside the church. And I think this is, now, I do think this is completely contrary to the teaching of the New Testament. What do we see in the New Testament in the book of Acts? Believers gathering together to worship God, to hear the teaching of the apostles, to break bread, uh, to be on mission for God. That's what we find in the local church. So to say that you can live, you can live without church, without uh, the assembling of the saints and have your own little house church, you're for and no more. I think is in opposition to the New Testament, but I'm not outside of saying that it can't be done. Worst comes to worst. Hey, and this all of a sudden becomes a totalitarian government like China where church is outlawed, where difficulty, you risk your own life uh, to gather together. Two or three in a house may be all you can do. I get that. I understand that. That can be happening. But I, I am also willing to say you can try this, but I'm not so sure that as a ship without a north star, you will find yourself being guided by the passing clouds of justification, justifying your own practices without the north star of of rightly divided truth in the setting of the congregation of God's people. Because that's what we have at church. We have a course correction, us as believers. We can go all week long and we can you can take this Bible and twist it and say whatever you want. You know that you can do that, right? Cults do it all the time. They take a verse out of context, they take this, they take that, and they twist it to say whatever they want. And no doubt, sometimes that happens in a pulpit, but it is less likely to be to your advantage every time you turn the corner. So it's like on a ship and following clouds as your guide for long, you're just going in circles. You don't have a direction. You're just, being, you're just following your every whim and being lost in a sea of worldliness and sin, heading for shipwreck just like Naomi. When we are living outside the will of God, when we are in defiance of His commands, when we are rebels against Him, God is not being honored. Just by Naomi stepping back into the land of Judah, stepping back into Jerusalem, she is identifying herself with the will of God. Why else would God divide up a land and say, here people, stay here? If he didn't want them to stay there. And so here she is honoring God. How tragic is it when people that once loved the Lord and followed the Lord no longer live lives to bring glory to God. Live outside the land of Judah. Live outside the land of praise to God. Now once again, how wonderful. How wonderful is the grace of God that he will allow his people 
to remain adrift in danger and take drastic measures to bring them to Himself. Oh, love that will not let me go. I remember distinctly as a, as a, when I was first saved, not long after I got saved, you would have, you would have said it just didn't take with Ronnie. I mean, he, I know he said he got saved and everything, but look at him. He's, he's back in the honky-tonk. He ain't part of a church. He ain't this and that. I, listen, I tell you, I know something of the love of God that will not let me go when I would wander around my apartment saying, God, just leave me alone. Let me do what I want to. I want to go back and do that. I want to go back to Egypt. There were leeks and onions there. He would not leave me. His grip will not flee from me. He would continually draw me to Himself. What a God that will take broken pieces of lives that are shattered by their own hands and put them together again. That's what he's going to do in Naomi. I don't want to give the book away, but you know by the end, she's holding a grandbaby and glorifying God for what he's done. God can take broken pieces and put them back together in honor and glorify himself. In verse number 6, it says that the Lord... Visited his people. Remember that's what all stirred all this going home. And she got word that how God had, had visited his people in giving them bread. God was there. God was in a place. God had visited his people. Naomi was returning to a place of God's presence. A place where once again she could experience God. I've often known in my life that when I have cooled in my affection and when I have just outright got backslid and away from God, I find myself that those delights that I once, once loved, those delights that were once so pleasurable have now become to taste like ash in my mouth. And I stand in Moab and look back and say, what must it be like to be back there? Where God was. Where God was working in my life. Where God was doing something in my life. When Jonah's heart ran contrary to God, he no longer enjoyed God's presence. He ran. When we get away, when we get away from God, there is not only dishonor, but distance. David was a man that dishonored God, but God was but David was brought back to a relationship with God and could say in Psalm 1611, In thy presence is fullness of joy. At, right, at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. When we come back in that state from which we have left, we will find a place of obedience, a place of God's pleasure, a place of rightness. Naomi's where she should be. No matter how painful or embarrassing. No matter how long the path has been to bring her there. It is a place of God's attendance. also a place of God's abundance. We find back in verse number 6 again. She would heard the Lord how He had visited His people in giving them bread. The famine was over. The difficult patch had, had passed. And so now... She sees this place for what it truly is. Bethlehem. 
The name Bethlehem means the house of bread. Our Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem and I don't think it's a mistake because Bethlehem is a place of nourishing bread and who is but the bread of life but Jesus Christ. But it's a house of bread. God was once again giving His people bread. God was meeting the needs of His people. Listen, I know, I know there are wealthy People that have rejected God and said no to God. That live in wealth, that have abundance, they have everything that they want. I'm not saying that one cannot live without God and have prosperity. But I do not believe a child of God, a genuine child of God, can trade obedience to God for the prosperity of the world without meeting difficulty. Without meeting a problem. The scripture is true. The way of the transgressor is hard. What did Jesus say? He said, I, I, first of all, you can't expect God to meet your needs when you're away from God. You know, God's grace. I've been awed by it in many instances where I know my heart's not exactly right with God. And somehow He is gracious and has met needs, but I tell you what, I knew I was walking on thin ice. I knew I needed to be back right with God. He's still gracious and merciful, but what did He tell us in Matthew 6, 33? Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. What's He talking about? All those things. Food, raiment, all those things shall be added unto you the necessities of life. I'm not, I'm not going to say that you're, you're going to wear Armani suits and, and have uh, 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 different kinds of expensive fragrances, rings on every finger. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying He'll meet your needs. This verse, Matthew 6.33, is a guarantee that you can claim God's provision for your needs if you put Him first. What is Naomi doing? Whether grudgingly or not, you know, there's a lot of preachers who try to crawl down in Naomi's brain. I can't do that, but from what I see... On the outside, here is a woman that is getting back to God because she has to. She has to, she needs to get back with God. And God will give his provision if we put him first. And she put in a priority of getting back to God. A place of God's attendance, a place of God's abundance, a place of God's affection. Bethlehem. This house of bread where the people, God's people were. They gathered to feed off God's provision. Those whose hearts were bounded together in their common love for God. That's what the community was in Israel. They lived by God's law. They worshipped God. They loved God. He was the prevailing ethic of their life there. I have seen places in pews, you know, were really consistent. Didn't take long when I first came here to know Norma. Norma and them sit right there. Jackie's over here and Angie's back there and Roger's up there. Thank you, Roger, for what you do. But, you know, I know it's hot up there. I, I, I know where you sit. I know where you are. Same's true with other places I've been, other ministry, uh, Bethany Baptist Church where I was before. I knew where Brother Bill sit. I knew where Brother David sit. I knew where Sister Susie sit. You know, I, I knew where everything, everybody was. And down through those years, as I've ministered in that place for nearly 10 years, I remember, I remember seats where there were, there were people that loved God. They told me, Brother Ronnie, 
God's moving, God's doing something in my life. I thank God for His Word. And I'm growing, Brother Ronnie, and things are going. I, they were working in, uh, you know, VBS, and they were doing, you know, they're just serving the Lord. And through the years, over time, you just see those empty pews there. Places vacant where people have left. They used to worship God. They sang to God. They gave thanks to God. Week after week, their pew was never empty. And now, they're nowhere to be found. They're out of fellowship with God and His people. But thank God, one of the blessings of being a believer in God in Jesus Christ is that He chastens His own. Remember what we preached about several weeks ago? God chastens His own. He chastens them back into the assembly when their hearts are renewed once again. Notice when Naomi and Ruth arrived, the whole town came out. I think this says something about the prevalence of Elimelech. He was, he was somebody known by all. He was, a, he was a mover and shaker around Bethlehem. His, his moving out of Bethlehem ten years ago must have been noticed by all. And so when Naomi and Ruth arrive, the whole town's there and they are moved. Look at what it says. It says, uh, and, and they were, oh, in verse number 19, and they were come to Bethlehem and all the city was moved about them and they said, is this Naomi? They, they couldn't believe it. These, the word moved here indicates to make an uproar, to be greatly agitated. One author describes it like a beehive of buzzing bees. The whole town was chattering and talking. Did you see Naomi? Naomi's back, the wife of Elimelech. These people were shocked as to what had happened to the family of Elimelech. I can believe that we can take from this that there was an affection for Naomi. These people, you know, it wasn't like, oh, Naomi's back. I don't care, you know. These people, she was a part of that community. And I think they loved her. They, at least they were shocked at her appearance. They didn't go, aha. Uh -huh. They didn't have hands on the hips, you know, kind of this. They, aha, uh -huh. I know where you've been. Yeah, yeah, this is what happens when you leave our... No, it was, can you believe what has happened to Naomi? Now, I sense here... That there was an affection. I believe that we can uh, take from this that this town had a compassion, had an affection for her. You know, there's nothing to suggest that the people had an I told you so disposition. The phrase indicates they groaned. Is, is this Naomi? Naomi, is that you? There's a sense of compassion in the description. You know, I'd like to say that if you have wandered far from God, you will not find a God that is standoffish, arms folded, tapping his toe, saying, all right, it's about time. This need, you know, you've been, you've been, I've been trying to get your attention. No, you will find a God like the prodigal's father who will fall over himself to wrap his arms of grace and mercy around you as the angels in heaven rejoice over that one sinner that is saved. I like what Robert Hawker, one of my favorite authors, I've grown so much in love with what he writes. Listen to what he said about this return. 
What a moving of the heavenly city is there above. When Jesus brings home a soul that he hath rescued from Moab and to the, uh, of the wonders of Bethlehem, is there anything yet more surprising? Yes! How astonished shall you and I look upon ourselves? And all around, if God in His infinite mercy and from the riches of His inexhaustible grace should bring us home from the regions of sin we now inhabit to surround the throne of God and the Lamb. Man, you talk about a homecoming in heaven around the throne of God. We who were condemned and yet God saved us, prone to wander, what a day it will be when we surround that throne. What a wonder it is that we come home at all down here. God's love and mercy expressed in this scene where she arrived. Then, what she admitted. She said, she responded to them. Naomi said, verse number 20, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. I'm sure that the looks of those that gathered around the two sad travelers that entered Bethlehem said it all. What happened? Um, they may not have said it out loud, but they had to be asking, what happened? They left so confident. They, they, they left so full. He, she even talks about, we left full. We, this land, the first sight of famine. We're out of here, Jack. We got all our stuff. And we out, we're out of here. They left so full. And now to come back so empty. For all they knew, Elimelech and company were living high on the hog in Moab. I wonder how many of these Bethlehemites sat there during the midst of that famine when their children were sick and and on the brink of starvation. Man, I should have done what I should have done what Elimelech did. I should have jumped at the chance and just joined his caravan. I could be Moab today and not worried about my kids. I, I, man, I should have made, I should have left years ago. Man, Elimelech, he made the right decision. I, I hate that I missed my chance. Let us, let this be a reminder to all of us who are suffering the difficult path of following God in faith. As we look at those who have chosen to follow the flesh, nothing is as it seems. Those Facebook posts are more often than not are airbrushing away the sorrow and heartache of the hard way of the transgressor. Don't be fooled by thinking, oh man, I should have done the same thing. I should have given up years ago. We should have left that church when the leaving was good. Because we see that everything is not like it's cracked up to be. Naomi's response was the stark truth of just such a path. Notice, first of all, her condition. Her condition. Look at verse number 21. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home empty. Verse 21. Brought me home empty. Brought her home again. She had been confronted by God, and God had brought her back to this place. May I remind you, There are three graves in Moab, people that didn't come back. People that no doubt God knew would not respond to His calls, 
to come back. To, I don't care if the Lord was visiting. I don't care. That's just like a man. Would it? I don't care if the Lord's visiting Bethlehem. I'm not going back. I'm not going back there and showing face and embarrassing myself. No, no, no. Not me. No. Listen, I think that's why there's three, three graves back in Moab. But out of God's grace, he allowed her to come back. Numbers 32 and 23 should ring clear here. Be sure your sin will find you out. Galatians talks about, Paul talks about uh, what, we sh- what we sow, we reap. We, reap to, we sow to the flesh, we'll reap corruption. We sow to the Spirit, we'll reap everlasting life. Here is one truth that can take you can take to the bank. God brings his wayward children back to himself. If you belong to God, there's no place you can hide. Jonah hid in the bottom of a boat until God found him and sent an RV, a, a repentance vehicle to find him. Naomi discovered that even when she left God, he would not leave her. <laughs> oh, love that will not let me go. It may be painful. I may be standing over graves, but God knows how to get my heart, her condition, her cost. Yes, God found her. Praise God. He brought her home. Hallelujah. He restored her. Glory to God. But what a price. She said, look at what she said. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home empty. Those two come in absolutely penniless, beggars, nothing but a shell of a piece of property to crawl back into. They had some inheritance there, no doubt a home, that's where they found themselves were, but they had nothing. They were absolutely penniless. What a price. What a price. Like one old preacher said, if you live for God down here, He will take you to heaven and crown you. If you don't live for God here, He will crown you and then take you to heaven. Talking about crown, bang, hit you on the head. God knows how to deal with our hearts. God knows how to deal with where we are. There are three graves in Moab that stand as a monument of God's chastening hand. Most of us cannot attest to standing by the graveyard and admitting that this is God's chastening hand. But there are many of us who in the privacy of a conversation could tell you scars. Tell you some regrets. Tell you some things that just won't go away. In the back of our history, things that would be heartbreaking to hear. We could tell of heartbreak and sorrow while experiencing the chastening hand of God. There is a recompense for straying from God. And that price, that price of departing is steep. Here's the remedy. The moment you step out, the moment the first thoughts enter about running to Moab, run back to God. Don't let it take you that far. Don't let it take you that far until it costs you your marriage, it costs you your home, it costs you your children, it costs you your livelihood, it costs you your health, it costs you a grave. Don't go that far. Those first, those first promptings of the Holy Spirit in the heart, 
Respond to them. Respond to them. When she arrived, what she admitted, finally when she appeared. This is great. Look at verse number 22. So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned, returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem. Notice this, in the beginning of barley harvest. What a wonderful beginning of verse 22. So Naomi returned. She came home. Listen, mom, dad, brother, sister, are you worried about that, that, that loved one that is far from God? You know they know the Lord and they're far from God. I want you to know his timing's perfect. He knows what he's doing. You keep praying, asking God, but know this. He does it in his own perfect timing. There is, he'll bring, if they're the Lord's, he'll bring them back right on time, right at the beginning of, notice this, beginning of barley harvest. The author includes that to give us, I believe, some idea of when she's coming back. Now, this could be easily missed, but it's very interesting to look at. You see, the text tells us it was the time of harvest, but more specifically, the barley harvest, which means the first harvest. It was observed during the month of Abib, which means the green ears. And it was a time when certain feasts were observed and speaks volumes to us. So, you know as well as I do, Israel has different feasts, different times of the year when things happen. And so, when we look at this, and at the time that they're coming back, there's some, some significant things going on. Notice, first of all, we see a symbol of forgiveness. The book of Leviticus, in that book, we're told that the barley harvest, which the author's telling about, the barley harvest took place at the time of Passover. It was a time of atonement when sacrificial blood for sins of a nation was sprinkled on the mercy seat for the sins of a nation. I can't help but wonder if Naomi herself, you know, at the Day of Atonement, the High Day Atonement, you remember Jerusalem swells with individuals. I don't, I don't think that's the case. Jerusalem has yet to be established. Neither is the temple. The, the, the uh, tabernacle is still there. But the people would gather around that tabernacle. And you, you know the procedure, how that two goats would be brought to the high priest. Lots would be cast, and upon the goat whose lot it fell to be sacrificed, its throat would be cut, it would be drained of its blood, it would be dissected and sacrificed on the brazen altar, and that blood would be carried into the most holy place. The other animal upon whom the lot fell would be ostracized, would be taken out into the wilderness by a fit man and left to die of starvation in the wilderness. But that one priest would carry that blood in. And this is after he had 
had sacrificed for his own sin, for his own family, he would go into that most holy place and he would take that atoning blood of that sacrificial animal and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Brother Ronnie, what, what's happening here? This is atoning for the sins of a nation. Now, up until this point, every family, every person was obligated to bring a sacrifice to sacrifice in the, in the temple, in the tabernacle for their sins, for their family. It was a bloody time. Hundreds of thousands of sheep were killed in, in that time. And so, as a matter of representation, here are all the sins of the people and the, the atoning blood for which is sprinkled on the altar. On the, on the altar. You can't tell me that maybe, possibly, we see Naomi in Shiloh with the congregation as they listen. You know, one of these days I'm going to preach a message on this. They, what they would do is the priest, the high priest would go in in his garb. Along the bottom it prescribed these little pomegranate things to be along the bottom. And it would be a pomegranate and a little silver bell. And a pomegranate, a little silver, all around the bottom. And so when the high priest was out working, he would be jingling all the time. Jingle, jingle, jingle. Everywhere he would move, you would hear this jingling. Well, on the Day of Atonement, when he took that, when he took the the uh, the blood into the into the most uh, the holy place, he would go in there and remove the garments of the high priest. So, just outside the most holy place, he would leave the garb of the high priest behind. So that means that the bells couldn't be heard. Silently, he would take that blood and go into that most holy place. The Shekinah glory of the Lord, the presence of God would be there. And he would flick that blood onto the mercy seat seven times. The teaching was that if the high priest was struck down, that the sins of the people would not have been remitted. But there would be that pause of silence. Nobody could know what was going on in there. Until finally that priest would back his way out of the most holy place. And then he would take those garments and put those high priestly garments on. And those bells would start ringing on the bottom. And the people outside would rejoice because the offering had been accepted by God. Their sins had been atoned for another year, another season. You can't tell me, Naomi didn't thrill at the sound of those bells that her sin that accompanied with all the sins of a nation, her sin, her Elimelech sin of, of following Elimelech into that foreign land had been forgiven. Her sin had been purged. Her sin had been cleansed. She with tear-filled eyes watches the priest go in to the holy place with the blood for her sin. She joins in the shout of acceptation that the sacrifice, the atonement had been made. You and I, when we get away from God, we have no priest, no bells. For our high priest is ever in that most holy place. And he has eternal redemption. He is constantly uh, interceding on our behalf. Hebrews 9, 12. Neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It was a time of forgiveness this season. It was also a season of fruitfulness. It was a time when the 
first, the feast of first fruits was observed. The first of the crops, which is mentioned here, the beginning of barley harvest, these first of crops had come in and they would take a sheaf of wheat as a symbol of God's provision and it's called the thank offering or the wave offering. They'd take that first sheaf and they would offer it to God in thankfulness for the harvest that was given. But not only thankfulness for the first harvest, it was the first fruits, but thankfulness for every subsequent harvest throughout the harvest season. What can we see here is that we can still be fruitful. Failure is not final. Failure is not fatal. If we will respond to God, His promptings, and what He's doing, His activity, if we will see the Lord's visitation of fire and make our way in longing for that homeland, in longing for that place of peace, that place where I fit in, that place where I'm supposed to be as a child of God, there is yet hope for fruitfulness. To be fruitful. There's hope of restoration. I'm reminded of Joel. Joel speaking to the people of God said, And I, God saying, And I will restore unto you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. God sent those things into their lives to draw them unto Himself, to eat away the years of their rebellion. But God says, When you come back, I'll restore it. I'll restore it. I'll restore them. You may have failed God, been broken, and brought back bitter and sorrowful just like Naomi. But God is saying through this text, I honestly believe this, you still be fruitful. And isn't that what we find? Naomi is still fruitful. You say, Brother Ronnie, how? Her sons are dying. They had no children. How? How can they be fruitful? there was a kinsman redeemer who stepped in and made fruitful the, 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 the barren womb of Naomi. Remember what she told him? I can't go back and have children. I can't, I can't go back and give you husbands. But a kinsman redeemer can. A kinsman redeemer. He steps in and makes her fruitful once again. God can take our barrenness our, through our lifeless rebellion and turn it into a productive fruitful life what did that fruitful life come through it come through that son Obed Naomi held a grandson she never thought she'd ever hold a grandson she held a grandson in her arms she rejoiced in Boaz and the, the kinsman redeemer not knowing that 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 baby would be the father of Jesse, who would be the father of David, who would be the great, 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 great grandfather of the Son of God, the Messiah on, uh, on this earth. You want to talk about fruitful? God can give us fruit even though we fail. Even though we fail. Some of you here today could echo Kirkpatrick's hymn I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home.
paths of sin too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home. Is today a time of homecoming? Is today the time you get sick and tired of being sick and tired and you remember the place in which God was, how fruitful He was, how faith felt like when you looked to heaven and you could look God in the face and know that there's nothing between, that you're doing what's right for before God? Don't you long for that place? If you're a true child of God, that's where you want to be. Oh, come home. Hosea chapter 6. Come, let us return unto the Lord. For He hath torn, and He will heal us. He hath smitten, and He will bind us up. God has been gracious to hedge our path with thorns, just like He did wicked Gomar. Hedged her path with thorns to bring her back to her Savior, her Redeemer. Her husband, Hosea. In our case, our beloved Lord Jesus. He will put thorns along our path to bring him back to himself. Has he done that to you today? If he has, find the Savior. Come, make things right. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 1 9. Come, make it right with Jesus today. Don't put it off another day. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for Naomi's example. What you've shown us through her. That, that even though there is a past that is rotten, stinking with the canker worms of the recompense of rebellion, you can restore and give us greater years than those that we've lost. You can heal. Who once, was, who once smote us, you can bind us up. Who once have chastened us, can comfort us. God, help us to make things right with you in this hour. If there is any that are lost here today, God, there is a Redeemer. There is a kinsman Redeemer. They can be grafted in and find help and find food, and find eternal life in Jesus Christ. God, we pray they'd come. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.